today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. However it is you're getting this program today, we're just so glad to have you. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you, and if it is, uh, like the program. And feel free to share it with others. If you'll go over to establishedinthefaith.com, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. You can also contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into the program now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 1, dealing with verses 7 and 8. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Um, I still think that this verse could be considered a part of the salutation. It's almost like... The Lord's getting straight to the point. Uh, I could probably learn a little bit from the Lord there and go ahead and get to the point sometimes. But uh, another statement that he's making here, the whole entirety of the book of Revelation is this one phrase right here, Behold, he cometh. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God pointed to a Redeemer. And all of those in the Old Testament, they look forward to the coming of the Lord. They look forward to the Messiah coming. And today, we are still looking forward to the Lord coming again. He came the first time as a humble servant. And they spit upon him and nailed him to a cross. The second time, he's coming with great power. In great glory. And they will not spit upon him this time. But that is the story, if you will, of the book of Revelation. Behold, he cometh. And if you'll flip over to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter, just hold your place there in Revelations. This phrase is made several times. Matthew 24, move down to verse 30, if you will. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So here we have again in Matthew 24, 30, the Lord's coming back. And he's coming in the clouds of heaven. And also here in Revelation, behold, he cometh with clouds. Uh, If you'll go to Acts chapter 1, you can flip there right quick. You know, when the Lord was raised from the dead, for about 40 days there, he stayed with the disciples, coming and going, meeting with them, and... Right here in Acts chapter 1 verse 9, we have the ascension. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So just as Jesus ascended up into heaven and a cloud received him out of their sight, the Lord is also going to be coming with the clouds. Clouds as you would normally think of such. But now this word also has another meaning to it as well. If you will, take a look at Jude, the little book of Jude. Go back to the book of Revelation where we started at chapter 1 and flip back one page. Little book of Jude. One chapter. Jude uh, made some statements there. Jude verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. So what in the world is going to be going on here? The rapture of the church could take place at any moment. It is the next greatest event on the horizon of time. The Lord coming back at the rapture of the church. Don't get the two events confused. Rapture and second coming. They're two different events. The rapture could take place at any moment. When the rapture takes place, the Lord will come back somewhere around 6,000 feet of the earth. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The Lord will not set his feet upon this earth at that time. He's only going to come so close about 6,000 feet, and the Jews, the way they listed the levels of the heavens, uh, they did it according to Mount Olympus, and Mount Olympus is somewhere around 6,000 feet. So the Lord's going to come somewhere close within that range. He's not going to set his feet on the earth. He's going to be in the air. We're going to go up to meet him, and we're going to be in heaven. I said, we're going to be in heaven. And, uh, buddy, what a time that's going to be. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I just get excited when I talk about it. Because we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, while we're up in heaven, the great tribulation period will happen sometime after the rapture of the church. So you don't have to worry about going through the tribulation period. And I can show you scriptures for that, but I didn't come prepared to do all that tonight, but we'll study that and look at that a little bit later on. But a short time 
after the rapture, it could be a couple of weeks, could be a couple of months, couple of years even. After the rapture of the church, the Antichrist will step on the scene, and when he signs that seven-year peace pact with Israel, that's when the seven-year Great Tribulation period will begin. When the Antichrist comes on the scene and he signs that peace pact, Daniel talked about it in his book. But at any rate, there'll be seven years of tribulation. The Antichrist will come on the scene. Uh, there'll be one judgment, one, one right after the other. The Antichrist will, a lot of the countries of the world are going to join in with him. What doesn't join in with him are going to be so influenced by him they might not join, but they're not going to say anything against him either. Where will the United States be during this time? I don't know. The Bible does not mention the United States. It, it's all about Jerusalem and God's chosen people. Someone said maybe the United States is not mentioned because when these events occur, the United States is not here. I don't know, but it's not mentioned in the Bible. But all the nations of the world will feel his influence and his power as he begins to take over the world. And what areas there will be countries that will not side with him. There will be some countries to the north and he will go off at the midpoint of the tribulation period to fight those nations and bring them back with him because his ultimate goal is to destroy Israel. And Satan is going to invest more power, more anointing, if you will, into the Antichrist, more so than he has any other person since the dawn of time. He's going to put the full force, the full power of hell at the disposal of the Antichrist. He's going to have a great influence, and his whole objective is going to be to destroy Israel. Why Israel? There's always been, since the Garden of Eden, this battle between God and Satan. Satan wants to rule it all. He wants to dethrone God. That's his objective. God has said a lot of things in his word as it pertains to Israel. God has said that he will bring Israel back. And that Israel will be the leading nation in the world. That is coming in the millennium. Still future. But if Satan can destroy God's people, completely wipe them out, then the word of God falls to the ground and Satan is now elevated to the God of the universe. So Satan is attacking the word of God by trying to destroy Israel. And again, there's a whole lot more that could be said, and we'll deal with that a little bit later on as well. But he will lead all the nations of the world, whether he's conquered them by force or whether they've joined in with him. He'll bring all those nations of the world against Israel, surround Israel at what is known as the Battle of Armageddon. This will be at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. No doubt there will be television cameras there as newsmen, news 
uh, networks around the world are broadcasting this. And the cameras are there looking at the jets flying in the tanks and all, and all of that. And the Antichrist says, we're going to destroy these people. And all of a sudden, the camera points up toward the sky. We don't know what that is, but it's very bright. It's very bright. And it's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the saints of God are going to be coming back with him. We just got raptured some seven or more years earlier. We've been in heaven for the past seven or more years. What are we doing? I don't know. Maybe it's the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be receiving rewards for putting that $100 bill in the offering plate. (laughs) That little extra that you weren't required to do, but you did it anyway. That little extra that you did at the church when nobody else knew about it. Those things that you do in secret, ladies and gentlemen, God will reward you openly. And there will be a great reward for everything that we have done for the Lord and not try to make a big sounding horn about it, letting everybody know what we're doing. God's got a record of it, and he's going to reward us for it. Amen? I've got some reward up there. You've got some reward up there. What is it? I don't know. But it's going to be better than anything I've got here, I can tell you that. And uh, we're going to be enjoying all of that, being up there with the Lord. But we're going to come back with the Lord, but we're also going to come back riding white horses. Turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 14. This is at the Battle of Armageddon, at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, as the Antichrist is trying to destroy Israel. Jesus comes back at the second coming during that battle, and we're all going to be coming back with him. Look what it says. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now I want you to imagine this. Get get this picture in your mind. Every single human being that in the Old Testament that brought a sacrifice looking forward to the Messiah coming. In essence, they accepted the Messiah. They didn't know him as Jesus then, but they knew one was coming. Their faith was in that Redeemer, that promised seed, that one that was to come. Their faith was in it. They looked forward to him coming. You and I know that Jesus has already come, shed his blood for us. We look back at what Jesus has already done. Every single person that has put their faith in the Redeemer... From Abel, all the way through the Old Testament up to the rapture of the church, which could take place at any time, is going to be in that army. Billions of people. Billions of people wearing white garments, 
riding white horses. Now tell me that ain't going to be a white cloud of people. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Not the clouds that you normally think of, but with clouds of saints. Honey, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be riding on one of them horses. <laughs> and you are too. Well, you say, well, Brother James, now I don't know. I ain't never rode a horse, and I don't know nothing about it, and I'm going to be kind of scared about that thing. Well, you don't have to worry about it. Well, James, I just don't know nothing about riding no horse. Well, you ain't going to know nothing about playing no harp neither. Can anybody in here play a harp? Did you know when you get to heaven, the Lord's going to give you a harp? Not only is he going to give you the harp, but he's going to give you the ability to play it. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to be playing. I can't play anything. So I'm lucky if I can play a radio. <laughs> but when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a harp, and I'm going to have the ability to play it. And I'm also going to have a white horse. Now, I've always, I've known this for years, that we were coming back with the Lord on a white horse. But in, in studying this this week, I had some questions to come to mind. And so I started doing a little study on white horses. A, a true white horse is on this earth is a rare thing. Mostly what you see, and particularly over television, or maybe you know where there's a white horse at, he's really not a true white horse, he's gray. He's not a true white horse. But the pictures of the ones I saw, oh, they were beautiful. And I was looking through some of them pictures, and I picked me out, and I said, oh, that's going to be mine right there. That's going to be my horse. Oh, but he was all spread out and... Had his, you know them Clydesdales? I'm going to have me a big one. I don't know. Maybe the Lord will say, James, you didn't do good enough. You, I'll have to ride a donkey or something. But uh, <laughs> y'all say, what in the world does the preacher do? Well, but one of my thoughts was, well, Lord, when you give me that horse and you say, mount up, we're going to take care of business back on earth. And he gives me that horse. One of my questions that I had, and I was asking the Lord about it, well, Lord, when you give him to me, am I going to be able to keep him? Is he going to be mine for all eternity? What do you think? What are your thoughts? He's got a mansion built for you over there. Is he going to give it to you and turn around and take it away from you? No. Well, when he gives you that horse, I think he's going to be yours to ride on and take care of. We were sitting there talking about it at the house last night. And Haven was sitting there and she said, the Lord's going to give me a white horse. I said, yeah, and you're going to have to take care of him. She said, I sure hope I don't have to clean out his litter box. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll leave that one alone. I think we'll be able to keep him. Romans eleven twenty nine says, For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Whatever the Lord gives you, He's not going to take it away from you. Now you can give it back to him 
if you decide or choose to do so, that's your free will of choice. And I'm sure if the Lord gives you something in heaven and you don't want it, you can say, Lord, I don't want that. But why in the world would you want to do a crazy thing like that? Anything the Lord gives you is going to be good. So we're all going to be riding white horses. Just a little something to think about. All right, let's take a look at another little phrase there in verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Now, in years past, people have read this verse, and they've merely had to just take it by faith that every eye would see the Lord coming at his return. They didn't know how in the world everybody on the face of the earth would be able to see this thing when it takes place. But today, with the television cameras we have, people's got their phones, their iPads, all of these devices. You could very easily record the Lord's coming and it be broadcast all over the world. I mean, news can break at any time and your phone go off you can, you've got internet you've got satellites and the whole world knows about it so everybody can see as i stand here tonight every eye will see him whether it's physically or looking at a television set or a computer screen or your telephone or whatever the case every eye will see him Let me ask this question. Can the eyes of the people that you come in contact with on a daily basis, can they see the Lord in you now? Just something to think about. All right. And they also which pierced him. Every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. Go ahead and flip over to Mark chapter 14. Hold your place there in Revelation. Now, most teachers, Bible scholars, interpret this scripture as meaning the descendants of the Jews, the Roman soldiers, Everyone that participated did their part in the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior. The relatives, the distant descendants from those that actually drove the nails in his hands. Yes, they will stand there that day and see the Lord's coming. But is it possible... That the Lord could open up all of hell and cause all of them folk in hell to see his coming as well. Mark chapter 14, move down if you will to verse 61. Let's take a look at something Jesus said. I'm giving you some Pierce theology tonight. I've not studied this from anyone else. This is just a thought. You can put it up on the shelf and think about it or whatever. Mark 14, 61. But he held his peace 
and answering nothing. Now this was at the trial of Jesus when he stood before the priest and they were had some witnesses there trying to testify against him. But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He spoke that to the high priest. That ask him that question. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. And you shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. So is it possible for the Lord to open up hell and cause all of those down there that participated in his crucifixion to see him coming in power and glory, this is what you could have had. You could have been with the Lord with all of these rewards. You could have had a white horse. But because of your actions and rejecting Christ and nailing him to the cross, it's, it's the Lord's way of tormenting and torturing those that tortured him. Just a thought. Could it be? All right. Revelation 1 verse 7 again. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Flip over, if you will, to Zechariah chapter 12. I got them little fingers busy tonight, don't I? Got y'all flipping all around in your Bibles tonight. I can't go to sleep because the preacher's got me busy flipping from here to there. <laughs> Zechariah chapter 12. This goes right along with what we're reading there in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. All the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day. Come to pass in that day. That is the day when the battle of Armageddon is taking place. All the armies of the world are coming against Israel. And the Lord comes back during that battle. That day, that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Like I said, when the Antichrist brings all of those armies, thousands and thousands of soldiers will be gathered there. We'll read about it a little bit later on, but the blood in that battle will flow up to the horse's bridles, six feet deep, up to 180 to 200 miles in the valley of Megiddo. Let's look at it a little bit more. Verse 10, Zechariah 12, verse 10. 
And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Notice the terminology. Whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the morning of Hadadadrenum in the valley of Megiddo. That's the valley of Megiddo, the place where Armageddon will occur. When the Lord comes back with such power and such glory. You know, when Moses stood on the mountain and God came down and gave him the commandments, Moses wanted to look upon God and God said, No, you can't see my face, but if you'll go over there in the cleft of the rock, I'll pass by and you can see my back parts. But you can't, if you look at all my glory, you'll, you'll die. It'll kill you. When the Lord comes back in his full power and full glory, the soldiers will stand there and look at him. And the Bible says that their eyes will consume away in their sockets. Their flesh will literally melt and fall off the bones. That's where all the blood will come from. At the same time, the Lord will have all the elements at his disposal. He'll have hailstones weighing anywhere from 150 to 200 pounds falling out of the sky. And as it hits those men, it crushes them on the spot. Any tanks, airplanes, anything that the Antichrist has that says, Oh, I've got the ultimate weapon that could wipe out everything it ain't going to be no match for the Lord when he returns. Because he's going to come back in full power and full glory. And when his glory hits those soldiers, they'll just consume away on the spot. Their bones will fall to the ground. And the blood will flow up to the horse's bridles for 180 to 200 miles. And I forgot now the statistics the number of years it will take to clean up all of that. But that's also mentioned, and we'll look at that a little bit later on too. But there's going to be a great mourning throughout the land when the Lord, when the Lord returns, both by Israel and all the kindreds of the earth. First of all, let's take a look at Israel. Why will they be mourning so much? Flip over to Zechariah 13, just a page or two there where you're at in Zechariah. Zechariah 13, verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And Israel will mourn and weep. Because they will then realize that they crucified their Messiah. But the Bible also says here that all kindreds of the earth shall wail. Why will they be crying? They're going to be crying because it's judgment time. They're going to know without a shadow of a doubt who this is. And boy, when he's 
when he comes back, it's going to be judgment time. In Genesis 12 and 3, God told Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. In Matthew chapter 25, if you want to flip over there, this has to do with the judgment of the nations. When the Lord comes back at the second coming and the battle of Armageddon is all wrapped up and the Lord has established his throne there in Jerusalem, all the nations will come before him and he is going to divide the nations, the sheep nations and the goat nations. Those nations that have helped Israel and supported Israel will be considered the righteous nations. They will go on into the thousand-year millennium. But all of those nations that sided with the Antichrist and would not help his brethren, and you can read about it there in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. I won't take the time to read all of that. You can read it for yourself. The Lord divides up the nations. And those nations that did not help Israel... He'll say, depart from me in the everlasting fire. So in other words, they're going to go right straight to the lake of fire if you interpret it that way, and that's, that's what the book says. He'll say, verse 41, Matthew 25, verse 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, in everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. Thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. So, the way you treat Israel, it's going to come around and bite you. You'll either be rewarded for it. Or you'll either be destroyed for it. Like I said, you can read all that. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. All right, Revelation chapter 1. Let's take a look at verse 8. And we're going to close it up. I am Alpha and Omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. He said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. He's here and he's here. Not that God has a beginning and an ending, but you and I do. We have a beginning. There will be an ending, but there is no beginning and ending with God. There was never a time when he didn't exist. He, in, he existed in eternity past. He will exist in eternity future. He said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. He's also everything else in between, by the way. Saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. This is the second time that the Lord uses this phrase, which is, which was, and which is to come. This time he tacks on the little word there, the Almighty. The Almighty. The Greek word for that is pantikrotor. However you want to pronounce it. If it makes any difference. 
But here's what it means. It means the all-ruling God. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, which was, and which is to come, the all-ruling God. Let me ask this question tonight. Is the Lord the Almighty in your life? Is He the all-ruling God? Does He rule and reign? You look back up there in another verse there in Revelation chapter 1. It says, Dominion. You'll see that word, dominion. We closed out the service last week. Verse 6. Does the Lord have dominion within your heart and life? Is He the Almighty? If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.